You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. All right, good morning, guys. How are you? It is my favorite time of year. Um, and no, it's not because of the holidays. It's because this is the time of year where SALT students start dating. <laughs> It's been just long enough that they've gotten to know each other, <laughs> been on a retreat, been around each other, and they're like, I kind of think you're cute. So it's a fun time of year. Uh, it's, it's fun to be in a next generation church where you get to have life and new life and new relationships. And particularly when we come to a text like today, we're going to be in Malachi chapter 2. If you have your Bibles there, you can open up. We're going to be handling verses uh, 10 through 16 today. We'll leave off 17. We'll let stand. Uh, tack that on to the beginning of his sermon next week. So the reason why it's important um, and why it's fun to be in a church where people are dating and figuring out that next stage of life is uh, marriage is a big part of what the Bible has to say uh, about our relationship with God. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about marriage. And the Bible actually begins and ends with a wedding. Did you guys know that? You aware of that? Your Bibles actually start with a wedding and ends with a wedding. So Genesis 2, God creates the world. He creates a man. Uh, it's not good for that guy to be alone. If you've ever met a, a single 25-year-old guy, you would agree with God. <laughs> they're walking around. My wife always comments, they're walking around the grocery store with a bunch of ramen noodles, a bunch of Powerade, and then a bunch of, like, antacids. <laughs> You're like, that guy needs a wife. <laughs> he's just ruining himself. He has no idea what he's doing in life. Okay, so it's not good for him to be alone, so God puts him to sleep, makes a woman from his rib, and then God walks her down the aisle, brings her to Adam. Adam sees her, mind blown. Starts the first song that you've ever that's ever been recorded is in the book of Genesis. Adam sings a song, writes a poem. Uh, he's just like, oh, this is awesome. Look at finally somebody who's just like me. I love her. And then God officiates the wedding, and they become one. And then at the end of all time, in the book of Revelation, it says that Jesus comes back like a husband for his bride. And all the church has been prepared as a bride, and they are prepared before him. She's allowed to wear white because of what he's done for, her. and uh, they get married. And there's a huge feast at the end of all time. And there's a there's a big wedding reception, and that's what eternity in heaven is like—a feast, a celebration where there's a wedding feast. And so the the Bible begins and ends with marriage, so it's a big deal. And everywhere in between, you'll see this idea of marriage and covenant and vows and adultery. And it's a major theme of the Bible, and you'll see it all over. And, uh, but why? Like, why so much marriage, right? Like, I thought this was, like, the Bible, not the, the not.com. <laughs> if, if you guys don't know what that is, ask the girl with you later. <laughs> she has her wedding already planned. <laughs> or her Pinterest board, maybe, that secret board that other people aren't allowed to see, but she has her wedding already figured out on there. Um, the Bible has a lot to say about marriage because it's a big deal. And so we're going to, um, I want to show you first from Ephesians 5 why that's the case. Okay, so it's all over the place, but why? Why so much about weddings? Why? Marriage? Why? Ephesians 5, 31, 32 tells us exactly why. Paul, the apostle, is writing this letter, and he actually quotes Genesis 2 um, before. He says, A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So you now he's talking about marriage. He's, he's referencing Genesis 2, that marriage at the beginning of all time. And then he says, This mystery, two people becoming one is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So marriage is about more than two people just having fun or being happy or not being lonely anymore or being able to flip a mortgage together. 
Marriage is a bigger deal than just roommates hanging out, <laughs> figuring it out, financially being solid, having somebody to share your nights with, somebody to watch the Netflix show with you, somebody to clean your gutters. It's bigger than that. It's about Christ and his church. There's something bigger going on uh, with marriage. And so that's why it should be something we're excited about. It should be something that we take more seriously, something that we want to hear from God on, why he's so interested in this and why this particular symbol is a symbol for what um, his Christ and his church will be. So the big idea this morning is that our weddings are connected to our worship. They are. Without exception, they are. They affect it negatively or positively, but they are affected. They are connected to our worship. Uh, because the two most of the decisions you will ever make in life are who you'll worship and who you'll marry. No two decisions will affect your life more than those two questions. How do you this morning in your own head answer those questions? Like, who, you, who will you worship? Who will you marry? Some of you have already made that choice, so that's an easy one for you. <laughs> Some of you college students uh, don't uh, know the answer to that question yet. The second one, who will I marry? That's a good question. And uh, the attendance isn't low this morning because they're home. They're all on dates right now. <laughs> so, so if you have a friend who needs to hear this message, uh, you can tell them to like, look it up online. That's fine. Or you could take notes and then have coffee with them. Like, you figure this out and then go tell them why this is important. Um, and that might actually be more powerful than them just listening to something online. But people need to know why marriage is important, who they're deciding to marry, and then what marriage looks like once we're married. Because if you worship Jesus, it must impact who you marry. Because who you marry will impact how you worship Jesus. That makes sense. I'll say it again. I wrote it down on purpose. And I don't always write stuff out, <laughs> but I did this one. If you worship Jesus, it must impact who you marry because who you marry will impact how you worship Jesus. Single people need to be aware of that. You need to think it through. They're connected. Your wedding is connected to your worship. It will affect it one way or the other. Let's start uh, Malachi 2, verse 10. Let's get into the text for today. Enough of my thoughts. Let's hear what God has to say on it. And he wants to set the tone right out of the gate, and I want you guys to catch this. He says, have we not all one Father, and has not one God created us? So the tone is that you want to hear right out of the gate is a father and a creator. This is a dad talking to a child, saying, I love you, and I sincerely want what is best for you. Would you please give me your ear? This is the creator saying, I made you, and I made marriage. I know what it's supposed to be. I'm smarter than you. I love you. Would you please listen to me? So that's the kind of father we're dealing with here. Not the father that you have in your head. Not the father that you kind of instinctually kind of you know, push back for, but the father that you're like lean into, the father that you wish you had. That's the father that God is. And that's the tone he wants to set this morning. He's like, I'm a dad. I love you. I have this conversation with my kids every time I have to correct them on something. Well, not every time, but many times. Because <laughs> sometimes you just want to get right to it because it's just, I can't do this anymore today. It's like the fifth time we've had this conversation, Lorelai. Um, but I try. I'm like, Lorelai, I love you and I want what's best for you. I'm your dad. Please listen to me. And I set the tone, and then I give the instruction. Because I want her to know right out of the gate, I love you, and I want what's best for you. But God isn't just a father like me. He's a better dad than me. Because I want what's best for Lorelai, but I'm not perfect, and I didn't create her from nothing. I was involved in the process. <laughs> but it was remarkably uh, small in the process compared to what God did to make my children. And so God is not only just a father who wishes good things for you, he's a creator who actually knows. So he has authority to tell you what's best and what marriage is all about. So let's read uh, from verse, the rest of verse 10 to verse 12. 
He says, why then? Okay, so if we have one father and God's made us, why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So here's the first point this morning. We'll have two points. The first one is this. Who we marry affects our worship. I've already kind of said it, but I'm just restating it just so we're clear. Who we marry affects our worship. No single person will have a greater impact on your faith life than the person you marry, for better or for worse. It's even part of the vows. <laughs> when you stand up in front of somebody, you say, for better or for worse, richer or poorer, health, sickness. For better or for worse, this person will have a huge impact on your faith. By God's grace, uh, May he use your spouses to further your faith, whether that's through trial or through triumph. But they will, one way or the other, affect your faith life. So, Scripture has a very clear message on this. You just heard it in Malachi. Don't marry people. If you're single, this is, this is bottom shelf. <laughs> Don't marry somebody who doesn't worship Jesus. We clear? Everybody should be nodding. <laughs> should Christians marry unbelievers? Shake your head like this. The answer is no, they shouldn't. <laughs> should Christians find people who worship Jesus? Nod your head like this. Yes, they should. Good, Jeremy. I like it. (laughs) I like a man who can take instruction. You're a man under authority, and I will give you more authority because you've demonstrated that. In case we're unclear, Corinthians 6.14. Just to be clear, Malachi said it. Let's let Paul say it as well. Let's hear it from both Testaments. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Like, Paul is saying, like, first of all, it's a scriptural just command. Don't marry people who don't worship the same God that you do. That's just baseline stuff. But he's kind of fleshing it out. He's like, I don't even understand why you would want to. You're going different directions. You want different things out of life. That is the definition of tension. <laughs> that is what makes tension. When a, if you've been to a circus, the tightrope walker is walking on a rope that is tight <laughs> because it is pulled very hardly, from two different directions. That's what makes it tight. It produces tension, which allows him to walk on it because it's tense. Do you want the rest of your life to be tense? Marry somebody who doesn't worship the same God you do. You will run into problems all the time. It's not just a matter of practicality. Like, it is, like God is saying it is a command. But in addition to that, his command actually has some benefits to it. It will make your life less tense. Well, being married to somebody, as my wife can attest, is hard enough. <laughs> she has to be married to me, poor lady. Like, it's hard enough being married to a person in general because we're all sinners and you are promising to be sinned against just by this person for the rest of your life. <laughs> That's what you're doing when you get married. You're like, I want to be just be sinned by you by more than anybody else. I want you to sin against me more than anybody. Let's do this. And I'll sin against you all the time. It'll be great. <laughs> great marriages are made on great forgivers. Because you will sin against the person because that's what we do really well. And in Christ, we're doing it less and less every day. And with the help of my wife, I'm doing it less even more. But you will sin against the person that you marry. And there will be tension. But it's not just a matter of practicality, right? Listen, did you hear what he said? He repeated it twice. It's not just practicality. It's profanity. We, we know that, right? Do you hear that word? He said that in verse 10. You're profaning the covenant of your fathers. And in verse 11, you've profaned the sanctuary. We know what profanity is, right? Do I have to spell it out? I'd give you a few examples. <laughs> 
you've been around the internet you know, a time or two, you know what profanity is, right? God is saying it's profanity. It's like a middle finger to say, I worship Jesus, but I'm going to marry somebody who doesn't. It's not just practical, like, oh, it'll make your life better. <laughs> Don't you want your best life now? It'll make your life better. Don't get me wrong. It'll make it easier if you worship, if you worship the same God. You'll still sin against each other, but God is saying it's more than just trying to help you out so that you have fun times at Thanksgiving so you're not arguing over politics because you both vote the same direction. It's more than that. It's profanity to God. God see, looks down, and some of you would never say some four-letter words. You'd never let it happen, but you'd consider dating somebody who doesn't worship Jesus. And God says, that's like a middle finger to me. It's just your life is a cuss word. What you're doing is a cuss word. That's how I see it. So yeah, good for you. You would never say the word, but you're doing something that's just as bad. And in my sight, this is important. Why would you want to marry somebody who doesn't also worship me? It's not going to further you. It's only, you may end up worshiping Jesus more because of the whole trial of it, but it's not going to actually help you. It's not in line with what you actually say you want to do. So don't date unbelievers. Don't even date them. Because we're clearly saying don't marry them, but don't date them. Why, why would you date somebody who you know you're not going to marry? What's the point? Just practicing divorce. <laughs> so I want, I want to learn how to get really close to somebody and then break up and then do that again and then break up and do it again. It's like you're just practicing for divorce. You're getting really good at knowing how to get to know people and then abandoning them. You're just practicing for divorce. A lot of what we do as dating is just practicing to be better at divorcing people later in life. Why do that? Why train yourself to know how to love somebody and like the shows they like and then be like, eh, you're somebody I used to know? Why would we do that to ourselves? And scripture is just saying, I'm your dad. I love you. What are you doing? I want what's best for you. Would you please listen to me? I know better than you on this. Please listen to me. But it's more than just a matter of that too. Okay, so that's baseline, bottom line. Don't marry somebody who doesn't worship in God. But even in, okay, so let's say we got that taken care of. Salt Company, we all worship Jesus. Yay. And so we just feel free to marry any of those people, right? Because they're in the right tub. <laughs> they're in the right bin that you can put the quarter in and drop the claw down and whichever one comes out, it should be fine, Right? They're all Christians. It shouldn't matter. No. <laughs> Don't make that mistake, being like, we're both Christians. What could go wrong? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like, that's a good baseline start. Please don't hear me saying, like, that's baseline. But in addition to that, it's more to it than that. Because he also said, in addition to profanity, he used the word faithless twice. He used it in verse 10 and then again in verse 11. Why then are we faithless? Judah has been faithless. You are making decisions about who you marry, and your, your faith has never played an inch of of, of, of line into it. You've never given it a thought as to like, what kind of Christian am I? What do I want to do with my faith life? Do I want to go die in Jordan as a missionary? That's what God's put on my heart. Then I should probably tell this young lady that that's where I want to take her. And if she doesn't want to do that, she wants Missouri, Springfield, picket fence, two and a half kids, two and a half dogs, maybe at this point. I'm not sure if people even want kids anymore. I think they want dogs. But let's say that's what she wants. That's fine. Those people are going different directions. Even though they're both Christians, they're going different places. So one of you is going to have to die to your dream. <laughs> Hopefully you don't actually kill each other. <laughs> but I'm guessing that will produce tension. Even like, oh, I'm the kind of Christian that baptizes my babies. I'm the kind that doesn't. You think that's going to cause problems down the road? I can't imagine. I can't imagine how that would ever come up. <laughs> you could make it easier on yourself, is what I'm saying. It's going to be hard regardless. So make it easier for you and find somebody who's equally yoked. Equally yoked doesn't just mean we're both Christians. That's bottom line. But are you the same kind of Christian? Or young lady, do you want to go where he's going? 
Do you want to follow him? Are you excited about the life that he's planning out? And if you are, then by all means, jump on board and support him and help him all the way. Or be ready to die to the thing that you don't want to do. Or a young man, you can choose to die. Like, well, maybe I don't want to die in Jordan because this girl's super cute and I can't believe she likes me. <laughs> now, maybe you want to sit down and talk to somebody about like, well, maybe you shouldn't just put all your dreams of martyrdom on the shelf <laughs> because she's cute, but maybe it's worth considering. I don't know, maybe. Maybe God's changing. Maybe you had plans for your life and God's going to change them and it will require the humility to not go and die in a foreign country. Maybe that will be the case. But you need to talk it through with some people and you need to be on the same page with the person you're marrying because it's more than just marrying a Christian. It's marrying the kind of person that you'd actually want to create a life with. And so like, there's these things I, when I have dating couples, which I love, by the way. If you're dating, please talk to Paige and I and come over and have dinner. I love having dinner with people who are dating. It's super fun. I um, really enjoy it because I always bring out a few things. Like one of them I always talk about is like imagine you have a jar and your life is composed of rocks. And they're bigger rocks and they're smaller rocks. If you're a Christian, a big rock should be who you worship. That's the biggest rock of your whole life. It's the foundation of your whole life. That has to go in the jar first. Can you imagine this big jar? <laughs> and you put the rock in. And you have other big rocks in your life. I want to be, I want to have six kids or something or whatever. Like that was, Paige and I both had that as a big rock. It was important to us. You put that one in. And then as you do that, you have smaller rocks left over, like, uh, you know, where do you want to live? Like certain things that are maybe smaller or less important to you. If you have the big rocks in first, the little rocks will find their way into the cracks. That makes sense? Or if they don't, worst case scenario, it was a little rock. It wasn't that big of a deal. My wife and I fight about stuff because we're people and we're sinners, but we don't fight over big stuff. So I never feel like our marriage is at jeopardy because we agree on all the big stuff. We have the same big rocks. So nothing's ever so unstable that it's just like, oh my word, my world is falling apart. Did I marry the wrong person? Because the big stuff is settled. Now, reverse the situation. Let's say you start putting in the small rocks first. She's cute. Uh, <laughs> she likes the same bands I like. I don't know. <laughs> like, just like small stuff, which is, I'm not saying it's unimportant. It's, it's a rock, at least. <laughs> at least you have a rock for it, I guess. But if you fill it up with all those little things, guess what? All of a sudden, you don't have room for the big rocks. It, doesn't, it won't work the other way around. You can't cram the Jesus rock in later because the little rocks won't accommodate. They won't make space for the big rocks. So you have to orient your life around that. So think about just in your own head, what are your big rocks? If you're a Christian, Jesus is a gimme. <laughs> he is your rock. Scripture even uses that exact word for him. So it's not just an allegory at that point. It's real life. But in addition to that, what are your rocks? What are you doing with your life? What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? What kind of life do you want to build based on your faith? What does your faith compel you to do, to pursue? May your faith be part of the situation, part of the ingredient list as to how you think about who you would date and who you want to marry. So two clear applications. If you are dating a Christian, talk to Paige and I or find some married couple and be discipled by a couple. Because I can ask her questions that you can't, young man. <laughs> and like, because you, I mean, some of them you, like, you can't ask. If you say, I don't know, you want to, when do you think you want to get married? You just asked her to marry you, essentially. <laughs> Like, you can't ask her that in clean conscience. You can't say, well, I mean, you can, but you just basically told her you want to marry her, <laughs> and you're wanting to know what her timeline is. But I can ask her that over coffee, and you can hear the answer, and you don't have to be on the hook for it. <laughs> but that might be helpful for you to know. If she's like, I want to be married in two months, you're like, whoa, that's very fast. <laughs> or you might hear, I want to be married, you know, like in eight years after I've finished my, my doctorate. You're like, that's too long. I don't want to wait that long. I want to be married sooner than that. 
But I can ask her that. I can ask her, and I can ask you, young man, and young ladies, you want me asking him questions, because I know young men. I was one once. I'm told I'm not one anymore. <laughs> I'm 39, so I'm like, I'm not a young man or an old man. I'm just a man, which is like, how vanilla boring am I at this point? I'm just some 40-year-old dude, I guess. I don't know. I'm not even a dude. I'm just a man. <laughs> Dudes are cooler than me. But have dinner with us. We can ask questions. Or if not, it doesn't have to be page dry, but find some couple, be discipled by them. They can ask you questions that will help you figure out if you're going the right place and if you should do it together. Um, easy application. If you're dating an unbeliever, break up. In all seriousness, break up. Stop it. Knock it off. <laughs> like, yeah, well, they're going to become a Christian. Missionary dating produces miserable marriages. And yeah, I know in your head right now, you're thinking of some exception of some friend you know. There's a reason why they're called exceptions. <laughs> And yeah, it may have worked out for them, but it's, it's still, even if it does, it's only by the grace of God that it worked out. It's not due to your wise choices. You can do your part to participate, and God isn't unclear about what he's asking. Uh, that was Paige's story. She was dating an unbeliever, became a Christian. The hardest decision she made in her early Christian life was breaking up with some boy who she said, I love Jesus too much to keep dating you, and he said, that's the shallowest thing I've ever heard, and threw a pizza at her. <laughs> the shallowest thing he had ever heard was that somebody would choose God over him. He was a great choice for a husband, by the way. <laughs> I'm glad she ditched him, if that was your take on life. I'm a better choice than God. <laughs> so that might have to be your application point, is I need to break up with somebody today. Now, do it gently and do it respectfully, but tell them why. Don't pretend, don't give them some other reason. Tell them why. It's because you worship Jesus, and that's where you want to go, and they're not going that direction. And then apologize. Say, like, I shouldn't have dated you. I'm sorry. It's my bad. I really shouldn't. And really genuinely apologize to him. It was, you shouldn't have been dating him. And so your breaking up with him is causing brokenness, but it's your fault. You shouldn't have been in the relationship in the first place. Uh, but so some of you hearing this, you're like, this is all really good stuff. I wish I would have known that yesterday because I just said I do. <laughs> now, if that's you, don't raise your hand. Don't nod. <laughs> don't, some of you are just like, yeah, I should not have married the person next to me. <laughs> don't do that. They can see your head nodding. <laughs> Don't do that. You're going to ruin the rest of your day for no reason. But some of you are like, oh, man, if I had known, if I wish somebody would have told me this two years ago because I would not have married that person. Or maybe you made a good decision. You're like, I'm glad I thought of this because I'm married, so that must be it, right? That's what God wants. Marry the right person, game over. Done. No. God has more to say about marriage. Let's continue verses 13 through the first part of 15. He says, and this is a second thing you do. So here's a second bone to pick that he has. And he's like, I'm a dad. I love you, but I have two major problems. You guys are marrying people you have no business marrying. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the thing, and what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. What was he seeking out of this whole thing? Godly offspring. So here's the second point this morning. Not just who we marry affects our worship, but how we're married affects our worship. Okay, so you're already married. How you're currently married affects your worship with God. How you relate to her, how you relate to him affects this. It's an ongoing thing. It wasn't just on the front end who you chose to yoke yourself to. It's now this way as well. So just like dating had ground rules, don't marry unbelievers, marriage has the ground rules as well. Don't entertain the idea of divorce. Just make the decision. 
young married couples. Some of you, that's another thing about being part of a next generation church. Some of you are freshly married, and that's awesome. Like, you're new to marriage, and it's awesome. You haven't hit the bumps yet, and I love that for you guys. Have fun. <laughs> and, and it's not all like, oh, doom and gloom, like, just get ready, because it gets really bad. It doesn't. It gets better. But you got to go through some stuff before it gets better. Um, but do yourself a favor. Don't even make, eliminate the word divorce from your vocabulary. Don't threaten it when you get upset. Don't joke about it. Don't plan around it. Don't have a, a staff for like, here's my emergency plan for when things go south and we end up divorced, here's how I'm going to... Don't invest time into your divorce. Invest time into your marriage. Invest time into thinking how to make it work, not what I'm going to do when it doesn't work. Don't consider it when it gets really hard. And don't listen to friends who think that's their advice. It's like, well, you know, worst case scenario, you can always get divorced. It's not like you're together forever. Nothing's forever. Do yourself a favor. Don't entertain the idea of divorce. It will do a world of good to your marriage. Because marriage isn't just about, like, staying married. I know plenty of couples who've been married for a long time, but they're not winning at marriage. You know these people. You just had Thanksgiving. (laughs) They're still married, technically, right? That piece of paper is still somewhere filed on some county thing. But their marriage is not something you'd want to be in. They're not being married. So just not getting divorced is too low of a bar. Just like not dating unbelievers is too low of a bar. It's a good starting spot, but it's too low of a bar. We need to aim for better than that. And I want to focus on two words he used. In verse 14, he says, she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So companion and covenant. These are two words I want to focus on as far as helpful advice for people who are already yoked and married. So companionship. The word literally means being like knit together. Companionship is literally like the idea of being knit together, being woven together. So here's a bit of advice from the Father, from the Creator. Do everything you can to make one life between the two of you because spiritually that is a true reality. You are one. So do everything you can to reinforce the idea that you are one. So I wrote in a list down. I talked to my wife about this. So here's, here's some gimmicks. Like have one God right? Have one God. Have one church. Go to the same church. Go to the same church service. Sit by each other. (laughs) Ideally, right? (laughs) Come on, guys. Now, if you're serving one spot, whatever, but like one God, one church, one church service, one last name, one address, one bed, one bedtime. (laughs) Okay, we're taking a step further. Like, do everything you can. Now, I understand not not everybody can fulfill every, but qualification I'm making here, but do your best to do what you can. One bank account, one budget, like know what the other person is spending, what they're spending it on, and be accountable to somebody as to why you're spending stuff on something. You can have blow funds. It's like, here's my $50 and who cares? Spend it on whatever you want. But know that, like have one bank account, have one budget. It will force you to be one. You'll have to talk to each other (laughs) about what you're doing with life. Have one calendar, sit down, What are we doing this week? Who are we having over for dinner? Don't be surprised that you're having people over for dinner. (laughs) You come home from work, be like, I didn't know, who knew? (laughs) Like, you should talk to each other. That shouldn't be a surprise to you. Do your best to have hobbies that are similar. Get rid of those hobbies that are so different that they create long periods of separation where you're gone from each other for long periods so you both can have your lives. The goal is to have one life, be knit together, one life, Watch the same show on Netflix, even if that means you know everything about Gilmore Girls. (laughs) For example, I'm just saying, I don't know. (laughs) I would rather watch Netflix with my wife than watch Walking Dead by myself. (laughs) 
because I, I like doing things with her. I want to do stuff with her. And so have those things. Create common interests if you don't have any. But you're married, so I'm hoping that you had something in common other than you both thought each other were cute. But if you don't have that, create common interests. Go bowling. Do something you both suck at. <laughs> like, honestly, like, don't... It, we always feel like we have to do something like, well, I'm really into art, so we're going to go to an art gallery. I'm really into sports, so we're going to go to this sports thing. That's fine. But find something you both don't really like that much. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it's counterintuitive. You're like, well, so we're both miserable. It's like, yeah, well, maybe you both walk away with a lot of jokes. They're <laughs> like, people are into this? How stupid. <laughs> but you'll be together. <laughs> or like find something like bowling that you're both equally bad at, where it's not just like watching Brock bowl a 300, and you're just like, well, that was fun for him, I guess. <laughs> but like find like somewhere you both bowl 80s, and you're like, we're both horrible at this. Isn't this fun? High five. We love each other. It'll be good for you to laugh at each other and to embrace the fact that you're not good at stuff. But the reason why this is important is because verse 13, like I said, your horizontal affects your vertical. And he says, you cover the Lord's altar with tears and with weeping. He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. God is no longer listening to you because you aren't right here. You can't be right with God and not right with your spouse at the same time in the same way. If you are out of sorts with your spouse, it will affect this. He just said so. But to reinforce it, let's let Peter from the New Testament tell you that as well. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7, I have it up on the screen for you. He's speaking to husbands, but it's a principle that applies both ways. He says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. If you're not living with her, and that doesn't mean sharing an address or I pay the utilities. That means live with her, come home. Scripture says, like a bird away from its nest is a man often away from his house. <laughs> like, you're in danger. Be home. Come home. That's where you live. Come home. You're done with work. You should be excited to come home. You shouldn't hang out in the garage with large power tools so you don't have to listen to her. Like, some, you laugh. <laughs> but it's because you know. You're like, that's true. I know a guy who does that. Like, he just spends all this time making his boat or whatever. <laughs> it's like, he just doesn't want to be in the house because he can't, like, deal with it. Be home. Live with her. Live with her in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered because that's what's at stake. This is hard to deal with, and so you might have to get louder power tools because she gets louder and you pull away. But the bigger thing is at stake is that God's not listening to you anymore. Your prayers are hindered. You pray, you, you're praying up, and he's stiff-arming. I'm saying, get back down there and fix it. I don't even want to hear. I, I don't want to hear from you right now. Deal with her understand her, live with her, and vice versa, wives, live with your husband, understand them, understand who they are, what's going on with their workplace, get to know them, love them, so that your prayers are not hindered, because this will affect this, it's a principle, it's true, and you've observed it in your lives, you've felt that distance, I just feel distant from God, are you distant from your spouse? I just feel like I'm not connecting, I go to church, and that's, it's just not clicking, are things clicking this way? Start there. Scripture says start there if you're married. Start with that. Because it also affects your children. Did you see that? Verse 15, what was God's point in all this? And what was God seeking? Godly offspring. I'm not going to do a whole sermon on this. I've already done that back in Ephesians 6 when we went through that last fall. You can look that up online. Do your kids a favor. How hard is it for a kid? If a kid wants to honor his mom and dad, and mom and dad don't worship the same God, what's that kid supposed to do? Do I honor mom? Do I honor dad? Do I worship Allah? Do I worship Jesus? Do I go to the Mormon church? Do I go to the Presbyterian church? Ah! A, a sincere child has no idea what to do. 
I can't honor my father and my mother because my father and my mother don't agree on things. And I have to pick one. And picking one means picking teams. And we've all seen that play out in families where so-and-so aligns himself with dad because they agree on this. And then that means by nature that you're against mom. And it causes tension in families. And this always affects this. It does, without exception. The second thing I wanted to focus on was covenant, right? So companionship, we got that, right? Be one. Do all you can to be one. Do yourself a favor, be one. And do things that reinforce what's already true. You are one in God's sight, so be one. Covenant. The second, second thing he said is covenant. Covenant is like just an old fancy testament word for vows, making vows to each other. We, we have covenants when you get married. You make covenants. You say, I promise to do this before God and before people, I promise. And the word covenant literally comes from the word cutting. It means to cut yourself off from other options. It means to choose you means I don't choose everybody else. To choose you means no to everything else because I choose you above all. Before everything, I choose you. Before all other people, next to God, my most important person in my world will be you. Not my kids. Love my kids. My wife is more important than my kids because I don't have a covenant relationship with my children. I have a covenant relationship with my wife. Now, my children I have a special relationship with. They're my children. I am their father. But this is a different deal. This is something I promised before God and man to uphold, which means it was a choice. It was a decision, which means I cut myself off from other decisions. So I don't sit around wondering, did I make the right choice? I choose the choice I already made. I choose, I cut myself off from those things. I cut myself off from other options. Look at Matthew 19, five verse, uh, verses five through six. This is Jesus talking on the subject. Once again, he goes back to Genesis two. It seems like Genesis two would be a good spot to focus on if you're interested in marriage. Everybody appeals back to it. Paul does, Jesus does. <laughs> seems like that's almost like what marriage was supposed to be like before sin entered the world. You want a good image of that? Read Genesis 2 today, and you'll see what marriage is supposed to be like. Naked, unashamed, before each other, before God. Open, transparent, no shame, no guilt, because there's nothing to be ashamed of before him and before her. Look what Jesus had to say. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We've already established that. Companionship, one. So they are no longer two, but one. He just reiterates it in case you're not getting this. You are one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. What God has put together, don't separate. That means you, wife. That means you, husband. Don't pull away from the person that he's made you one with. That means you, single people, whose friends just got married. Well, they don't hang out with me anymore. Yeah, because they're married. (laughs) I mean, things changed. Yeah, they became one with another person. (laughs) Things should change. They should spend more time with her than you. And I know that that's hard. Like, oh, well, our friendship has changed. It should change. They're married. Things have happened that are true, and they should change. Don't be the one that comes in between other people. Don't be the child that's constantly the wedge between your parents. Our kids get disciplined for that. If they say, Mom, can I go outside and play? And she says no, and they come to me and say, Dad, can I go outside and play? Like, don't you separate us. We are one. If she says no, the answer is no. I'm not the candy guy, and you're the gluten-free toast gal, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't do that. Don't be like, oh, yeah, I know, I know mom has that rule, but here you go, guy. Best friends for life. Let's get matching bracelets. Don't do that. You're separating what's supposed to be one. Husband and wife, don't do that to each other. Kids, don't do that to your parents. 
Maybe even adult children. Don't do that to your parents. Maybe like be the sounding board for your mom to tell you how bad your dad is. Don't be the sounding board. Be like, your guys are one. You should do more work to be one with them and stop allowing me to be the, the catalyst to separating you even more. I don't want to help you break up anymore. I don't want to help you with this tension. Because that word hold fast, you've maybe heard it in like the King James, which I love King James for stuff like this, where it's like, leave and cleave, right? You've heard that maybe before. If you haven't, that's new for you. It's just another way of saying hold fast. Leave your father and mother, cleave to your wife. Leave here, cleave here. And so cleave even gets at the idea of the word, right? Because we know the word cleave. It means to break. But it also means to join. The same word, like a cleaver, cuts things in half. But the verb to cleave is to tie yourself to something, to bind yourself to something. So even in the word, we're hearing what the, the purpose of it is, that covenant idea of yes is no. Every yes is a no. To say yes to Paige is to say no to every other girl. A yes is a no. So if you're one of those people who's like, I don't like saying no. Every time you say yes, you're saying no to something. To say yes to so-and-so coming over for dinner means to say no to them coming over for dinner. It's not a bad thing. It just is what it is. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Choose what you say yes to and what you say no to. But choose. And look what Henry Smith said. I just love it. It's a succinct way of saying what I'm trying to say here. A man must choose his love and then he must love his choice. You must participate in what you choose to love. And once you've made your decision, your whole job in life is to choose to love what you've already chosen. So if you are married, your job is to, to love, what you, love your choice. Love who you've chosen. You made the decision. Maybe hearing this, you're like, oh, I wish I would have chosen differently. That's, we're not even considering that anymore. You've cut yourself off from considering that. It's now, how do I love the choice that I've made? And let me end like, on this then. That sounds hard, right? That doesn't, I, haven't, I haven't seen that movie. Aren't they supposed to like bump heads when they're both trying to pick up loose change and then fall in love? And then they like all the same movies and the same restaurants and they skip into the, into the end credits? <laughs> Isn't that how the movie goes? It, doesn't, it seems harder. That seems like more work than I expected. I thought if it was true love, it wouldn't require this much like, this sounds like I'm thinking more about it than I want to. I just want my heart to take me away <laughs> and it should all be fun. And that's how I know that it's the right person because I never have to think about it. Look at what he ends our passage with in the end part of verse 15 and uh, verse 16. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Some of your translations will, the Hebrew is wonky there, so some of them will say like, God hates divorce. Uh, Some of yours will say that there, it's a fair translation of it. But the thing I want you to focus in on is the thing he says twice. The thing he says before and after. Guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So just like dating is more to it than just is, is the person a Christian, how does my faith affect this decision? What do I want to do with my faith? How does my faith fuel this decision? Not just, do you worship Jesus? Oh, good, she's in. Whew, lucky because she's super hot. <laughs> it's like, so is hell, buddy. <laughs> Make better choices. In all seriousness, like, you're going to remember that. (laughs) Your faith should play a a bigger role in your life than that. It's not just like, oh, she scooted in. She she signed off on Jesus. Like, does she worship him, though? Are Are you the same kind of Christians? And it also comes into play with marriage. I mean, your, your marriage will require you to have faith in God in order to do it well. Don't think if you just pick wisely, then it's all cake from there. 
And in all seriousness, you can ask my wife and you can have dinner with her. Early marriage was not fun for her. It was hard to be married to me. I like, and so that part's serious. Now I'm going to tell a joke. <laughs> so I like to say, like, back in the day, our early marriage, we were a hot mess. She's hot and I was a mess. <laughs> like, it, was, it, was, it required faith. And your marriage will require you to have faith in God to stay married well. So plan on that ahead of time. Just know that. Guard yourself in your spirit. Don't be like, it's so hard. It can't be right. Maybe I picked wrong. Maybe I should divorce and start over again. That's why everybody's marriages, like second and third and fourth marriages, don't work out. Because they keep living the worst part of marriage over and over and over again instead of riding it out until it gets really good. Where you're comfortable with somebody 10 years into it, like my wife and I, where you've been through some stuff. People just keep reliving the worst part of marriage. Like, I'm three years into it, this sucks, start over. Three years, sucks, start over. You keep living the worst part of marriage over and over again. Love somebody. Have faith in God. Choose wisely and then love your choice by showing that you have faith in Jesus and being faithful, not faithless. And so let's transition now. The way we respond here at Anthem Church to our sermons is by taking communion. You're like, well, how is he going to tie this in? <laughs> so marriage, let's have bread. <laughs> Jesus at the Last Supper told his disciples, I was very excited to have this meal with you because it's the last time I will have it until I come back. I will not eat this meal again until I come back. And you know what that meal is when he comes back? Revelation 19, it is the wedding feast of the Lamb where his bride is presented to him and there is a wedding supper waiting for you in eternity. Do you realize that? There's a feast of bread and cup where we dance, just like a wedding reception, which makes communion kind of like a wedding rehearsal dinner. It's practice. <laughs> Nobody goes to the wedding rehearsal dinner and be like, well, I've already been to that. Who needs to go to the wedding? <laughs> it's just a taste of things to come. You got dressed up, you had nice food, but what I'm really excited about is the wedding and the reception, because then we're really going to dance. It's going to be a lot of fun. And this is a preview of things to come. And Jesus is patiently waiting for those who will turn to him and love him and worship him and have faith and exercise faith by allowing it to actually make real-life decisions, like things that are big, like who you marry, how you're married, how you stay married when it's hard, how you have faith in a God who says he loves you and is a father and a creator and knows better than you and loves you and wants what's best for you. So we practice our faith by taking the bread Dipping it in the cup over here is gluten-free if you need it. As the band starts playing, make your way up. And as you do that, know that this is just a taste of the wedding supper to come, that Jesus is patiently waiting to come back for his bride. And who will he find faithful when he comes back? Blessed is the one who's invited to the wedding feast, it says, Revelation 19.9. Blessed is the one who gets invited to this party. Come in faith today and take the bread, dip it in the cup, and receive it knowing that it's a preview of things to come. This is just the rehearsal dinner. The wedding reception is waiting for those who are faithful and love the one who's been faithful to them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for marriage and that it's just a symbol of greater things, that it's not just a matter of true love. And uh, yeah, it's a bigger deal than that. There's more going on at stake than that. It's more than just some funny line from Princess Bride. It's a bigger deal. Uh, it's your church and your, your son being united 
coming together as one flesh. That's why that oneness is so important because two people become one the same way that we will become one with you when you return. And we're excited. For those whose hearts hear that and want that and are excited by that idea, you are a faithful husband who will return and the bride will be walked down down the aisle and the father will officiate the final wedding of all human history. And so may we take the bread today in faith knowing that we will taste of it again in eternity. And may we dip it in the cup knowing that it's not just... Because you love us and you have a, we have a special spot in your heart because we're so cute, you just couldn't resist. You sent your son to die so that you could marry us. You sent your son to die, a covenant sealed in blood. And so may we come and partake of that covenant, be participants in the covenant, embracing it by faith. May you give us eyes to see that we may walk by faith and not sight. And may we enter into your presence and celebrate together with this large group of people who call themselves Christ followers in your marriage feast that will last forever and ever. In your name we pray. Amen.